the one another way in the book, Closer Than a Brother. Um, and so tonight I wanted to talk about one small thing, which is how do we really go about the one another way? We only have a few minutes to do this, but I asked this in the beginning of service, and then I put it on the Facebook wall. Does anybody want to share in the last year what comes to mind when they think of the most love they felt from the church? A moment... And if you'd rather not use names, you don't have to. I mean, I think both people will be pretty encouraged by being lifted up. But, you know, like, what's something that comes to mind when you think, man, that really was like a moment for me where I felt the love of Christ? So we can just open up for a few people. Clarissa. Okay. So I'm, like, just really grateful to, like, get to share this right now. But I don't know if you remember, um, one year ago today, my brother was oh, in a wow. football incident um, wow. where he got a spinal cord injury that was permanent still kind of dealing with it, but um, he was paralyzed for about a month and has made a lot of progress since then. But I was like kind of emotional when you asked that question because I think it was really hard for me last year to deal with that. Um, my family's in Colorado, that's where my brother is. Um, and I remember finding out and finding Kayla, she's not here, but just like crying and praying. Um, and I remember kind of telling it to everybody in the campus ministry on a Wednesday night like a year ago. Um, and Ben was leading at that point, but he just like had us all get to our knees and pray for my little brother. But um, I think the ministry was amazing in that time, but just the whole church, all the prayers that were sent out, um, it really got me through it. And I think um, made such a difference in your prayers too, and just healing. So that was a year ago, and that's been great. So thank you all for that. Amen. Amen. To the, to the day, that's amazing. Um, any other thoughts? Any other, yeah, Mark. Uh, this happened a little less than a year ago. Um, for the first time in my life, I had um, the church come over and have house church at my house. Mm. Um, it was really exciting. I thought, you know, maybe five or six people would show up. We ended up having 42 people. Amen. Yeah. When it, was up, when it was done, we had a little dinner and everything, and everybody had a little, you know, brought some food. And, People were around having different little um, groups praying with each other. Some were down by the fire pit praying. And I was sitting up at the por- up on the top of the porch, and Tim Kirk came up there and started talking to me. And uh, he was trying to get me to open up because at the time I was new. I didn't want to open up. Didn't want to talk to nobody. And then next thing you know, Greg Wacker sits down. He starts opening up. And then you know David Cunningham sits down. He starts opening up. And then. Then old Bobby sits down. And he starts opening up. You know, different Bobby. Different Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next thing you know, I've got seven brothers sitting with me. Amen. And they're there for one reason, for me, for no other reason. That's for me. Amen. Amen. Awesome. This is awesome. Couple more. Uh, Will and then Pam and then Josh. It's a good activity to go through. I think um, we're really good at remembering the negative. And Frank talks about in this chapter his memories uh, of the church and how they far outweigh any hurt people have caused him. Um, And he's got some great stories in there. uh, So I encourage you to read it. But I began to think about that for us. And... uh, it's true, they say, if, someone, if someone's going to remember an encouraging thing you said to them, you have to say it ten times, but all it takes is you to say one negative thing and they'll remember it, like, forever. Um, that's kind of how people are, right? Like, 
I love you. No, I know, you know, I know. But I remember that one time 12 years ago you said that I didn't look as good as I could, you know. And it's like, oh, man. Um, but I do think it's a good practice, not just for, for us to remember the love of Christ in the church. Because it is evident and it's there. I think we can, we can just kind of push it out of our minds. And the negative cannot weigh that. But in 1 Thessalonians 4, um, uh, actually, let's do 5. I don't know why I said 4. Chapter 5. Verse 11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. So the calling is to encourage each other and to build each other up. But the question for tonight is, how do we really do that? What does that really look like? And um, the first thing he says in verse 12 is, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Now, some people probably have different versions on this one. NIV, the new NIV, has those who care for you in the Lord. Every other version has those who are over you in the Lord. And the word is, a, is, an, is an important one. Proistasai. Um, and proistasai basically means three things. Someone who's leading, someone who's protecting, and someone who's caring. So the NIV did something interesting. They said, listen, that call is not just for someone who's over you, that calls for all of us. Right. Um, and so, it's an interesting distinction though, because some people believe um, that who you are uh, is defined by your title. But Paul is saying something else entirely here in 1 Thessalonians 5. The other thing he says is that we, we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who who care for you, and who admonish you. Admonish you is nuthateo. And nuthateo means to caution or reprove gently. So let's repeat these verbs here. Let's repeat these words, rather. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who lead or protect or care for you in the Lord, and who caution or reprove gently you. And so one of the things I just wanted to mention real quick on leadership that the passage is saying is that status depends on function and not vice versa. A lot of times we think if we're given a title, then, oh, my, my behavior will soon follow. Oh, I made a leader. Now I better start acting like a leader. Or, oh, I'm, I'm this. I have this title. Now, but if I don't have the title, I don't have to really do that thing because I don't have the title. But actually... Titles in the church are given to people who are already doing that work. People who are all, it's, it's already who they are. They're already leading. They're already caring. They're already protecting. And the title is given later. It's not vice versa. And I think that's a powerful calling for the church. Because sometimes we can excuse ourselves from caring for somebody, from leading a certain thing, or from protecting. Because we think, well, it's not my, it's not my title. Um, but the passage here actually says, no, that's not, that's not right not the way it goes. We need to all be doing this, and titles are given after the titles are given later. And even if they're not given, you're already doing it. Right. You're already doing that thing. Because we can be insecure sometimes. Even when Jenny and I found out we were going to be appointed evangelists, which is a biblical office, and it's funny when we found out we were going to be appointed evangelists. You know, Jenny had this great response that was like, "I don't know. Like, are we really doing all that we're supposed to be doing? Like, are we are we really going to be good enough evangelists?" And you know, she has this great heart. I was like, it's about time, you know. But she was like, she was like, I don't know. Like, real. But something that, 
something that was told to us by Will Archer and Ed Antoine is, listen, this title's been given to you because you've already been doing the work. Right. And actually, it's interesting. It takes kind of a little bit of prestige and power away from the title. The title's not so important. You've already been doing it. And so for us, and the challenge for us in leadership is, it's not, oh, I'm not in leadership. No, no, no. Are you doing the work? That's the question, not are you in leadership? Are you doing the work? And that may look differently based on which part of the body or how you excel. But that's the call for us, even as a small church, is for all of us to care, protect, and lead each other. Amen. There's four challenges given here, beginning in verse uh, 14, but we'll read 13, though. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak and be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. As Paul writes this, I think, as we even think for ourselves, one of the biggest hurdles to one another relationships is that we get frustrated with each other. It's really easy to be best friends with somebody if it's shallow and if it's not for very long. Time is the great tester of friendship because things happen over time. Um, and it's, I think the biggest struggle for us is that we, 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 we want to give up on each other. And as the passage says, don't return evil for evil. Because the temptation when somebody hurts you and you want to give up on them is just to give back to them what they've been given to you. It's just say, hey, well, you've been unkind to me. Well... Unkind, here it comes, back on to you. See how you like it. Here it comes. So he actually says it in the passage. Don't, don't retaliate. Don't do that. Instead, go after these things. Number one, admonish the undisciplined. Uh, some versions say, uh, warn the idle. This is a word that's kind of, uh, it's basically, the, it's a literal soldier who's falling out of line. So it's this idea of somebody who's undisciplined, unruly. Maybe there's idleness there. Some versions say idle, some say disruptive, some say un, you know, undisciplined. But the heart behind this one is, this is a great quote, more particularly in this context, they are loafers who neglect their daily duty and live in idleness at the expense of others. And so he's saying there's a, there's a part of the church that's undisciplined. They're, they're living in idleness. They're living and they're not busy. They're not engaged in, in working, working, getting a wage, or serving others. They're really just, they're undisciplined, they live in idleness, and it really takes a toll on the community to have to compensate for them. And so it's not a, this is a, a one where it's not, um, remember what nutateo means, admonish, gently instruct. So it's not, how dare you, sir, get your act together, but it really is of, hey, gentle instruction of, hey, and sometimes it is just, How's it going with finances? How's it going with making every effort? How's it going with discipline? And this is something that is quite common, but it's actually a really important thing in the church to be able to admonish the undisciplined. It's not just that people who are, it could be people who are late, it could be people who uh, don't, you know, it's just undisciplined because it ends up hurting the community. And so this is the first thing he says is you got to actually gently instruct these people to be able to not just think in terms of themselves and how can others give to me, but how can I serve the community? How can I actually do good for all people? As he'll say later. Mm. Number two is, I love this one, comfort the faint-hearted. Mm. As I read about this one and what it really meant to be faint-hearted, it was actually a word used a lot in Greece as a negative word of somebody who was, um, who was weak. 
Uh, and in the King James, it actually says, comfort the feeble-minded, which I thought was kind of harsh. Um, that's King James, you know. But <laughs> comfort the faint-hearted. And one of the things I read that really stood out to me is that people by the world could be made to feel inadequate. Yeah. And this here says, those, these are those who have been made to feel like they are not enough. There are those who are faint-hearted because I'm not enough. And you're looked down on by the world because you don't have maybe worldly success or worldly provision. But there's a place for you in the church. And you actually can serve. You can do a lot. You can contribute. You can be all these things. And actually the goal is for us to comfort those people. And sometimes I think we all all get to a place like this. We all get to a place of I'm just not enough. My marriage is not enough. My parenting is not enough. I'm not enough. Jesus doesn't accept me. How can he love me after my... And we, all, we can get there. And we actually sometimes need to be admonished. Sometimes we need to be comforted. Sometimes we need to be there with people. Um, to just uh, pray with them, cry with them, and, come, and remind them of truths. But I love this one because it's not that they are not enough. It's they're made to feel like they're not enough. They're made to feel that way. And we've got to comfort these people. Uh, which can sometimes, at different times, be us as well. We've got to help the weak. Um, here it implies a sense of holding others up. Now, when it says weak, it doesn't mean physically. It means spiritually. Those who are spiritually weak. We've got to help those who are spiritually weak. We've got to be able to run to hold up their arms. We've got to run to be able to encourage them uh, at this time. So you can see there's a, there's a discerning that needs to happen. A lot of us, we see all, every problem as a nail. And we have the one hammer of, of rebuke or something. Like, uh, oh, they're faint-hearted? Go get them! Oh, they're, and he's, they're weak in their faith right now? Go get them! Stop! Fix it! Repent! Sometimes we, we always are comforting. Oh, maybe they don't need comforting. Maybe they need to be admonished. And so there's a discernment that needs to happen on our end. So one another relationships are not just accept me as I am and you do all. No, we actually got to sacrifice. We got to think. We got to pray. What does this brother need right now? Does he need Nuthateo? Does he need to be comforted? Does he need just to be helped? I just need to hold up his arms. I just got to hold, hold them up. I got to hold them up right now. I just got to take care of him. And there's a discernment that needs to happen. You know what's great about all four of these, or all three of these, is that none of them include a fruit of the Spirit, but the fourth one does. And I think it's, it's there for all of our hearts, because the real issue is not that, the real issue with one another relationships is not that other people are all these things. It's I think that we're, God's trying to teach all of us patience. And the fourth one there is be patient with everyone. Be patient with everyone. Because even as you're reading that, you probably are thinking, I know someone who's idle and disruptive. That person over there. I know someone who's weak. She's weak. I can't point. She's weak. You know, I, I was like, why'd you point at me, True? Um, trying to say something? Uh, I know somebody who's, you know, faint-hearted or feeble-minded or whatever. We can, we can, think, like, we can think like that. They think, oh, I've got to go help them. I've got to go help them. And yeah, we should help them. But I think he reminds us, and Scripture reminds us, the issue is, are we being patient with people? Mm-hmm. The issue is most always that we're not being patient. Mm-hmm. We've given up. That's the, been the last straw. That we're just, we don't want to put in the effort anymore. And we're no longer patient with others. This is, of the four challenges, to warn, to comfort, to help, <coughs> to be patient, is the only one that's a fruit of the Spirit. And if you remember... It's the first one lifted when Paul, listed when Paul describes what love is in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. And if there's anything that is godly about, that, that, that reminds us of, of God when we see Christ, it's his patience with us. 
in Luke 13. No, give, it, give, it, give it more time. Remember the parable in Luke 13 of the tree hasn't borne fruit yet. And it says, give it more time. Fertilize around it. Right. I'm going to take care of it. But one of the greatest things about our walk with, with Christ is his incredible patience. And he hangs in there with us. That Jesus has, is patient with us. And so for all of us, the challenge for us tonight, and as we move forward with, with these relationships and one another, is to ask ourselves this question. Have I been, been patient? And what is getting in the way of me being, uh, me being patient? So have I been patient with in one another relationships? And what is getting in the way? So we've got to think about that, what prevents us, right? Contemplation. What is preventing us? Have we been patient with people? And it's amazing, I think, we've got to go to the people that there's, and we know who they are. We know their kids, their husbands, their ex-husbands. There are people we think, nope, can't forgive them, unlovable. If you met them, you'd know. Talk about that, bro. I am blameless in it. I was Christ-like, even. <laughs> But there are certain people, we go, oh, you know, I can love them. I'm patient. Yeah, yeah. But that one, oh, I'm with my kid. I'm just, I'm so overbearing. My standards are so high. And I, I just can't, I, I lose my temper with my son so fast. I just, it's that, there's, there's someone God's put in your life that's testing your patience. And you have to realize, you know what? We can sit here all day and talk about them, but we're still not seeing the point point is that God is trying to teach us to be more like Christ. And if he's trying to teach us to be more like Christ, he's put this person in our lives to help us realize that patience. If they never change, we'll be able to grow in that patience. Um, and so finally, the last call is at the very end. I love it. What does he say? <coughs> Rejoice always. Pray continually. Some versions say pray without ceasing. Just keep praying. And this says give thanks in all circumstances. So when in doubt, if you want a practical of how do I do those three things, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. I don't know about you, but when these people shared about what they were thankful for, when Clarissa shared and Will shared and everyone shared, I got some chills. And it made me, it was some, there was something special about them giving thanks. Mm-hmm. There's something special about gratitude, and I think it, it leaves right. the room too quickly. Yeah. Um, it leaves our prayers too quickly. Yeah. Even how we talk to each other. Yeah. I'm grateful for you, bro. I'm Come grateful on. for what you did. I'm grateful for it. It leaves the room. And so I think when Frank talks about in, in, in this chapter is we've got to be grateful for what Come God's on. done in our lives. Right. Then we find that patience is all the more easier um, because we realize that Christ was the first to be patient <laughs> for us. Wow. So let's go after that patience together. Uh, next week... Um, Seth and Rob will tag team the midweek, and Rob will take us through the next chapter.